there are two different types of electricity. There's AC electricity and DC electricity. And a lot of our modern devices need DC electricity. So uh, if they're getting AC electricity, then they have to make this inefficient conversion with their inefficient drivers. And so our goal is just to uh, eliminate the need for those conversions and therefore like save energy. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Thanks, Ravi. Nice to be here. Yeah, so we've been kind of circling each other for a bit. We've been connected on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, we got uh, recently reconnected um, over some improvements you've had uh, over over the over the break. Sorry, can you... Yeah, sure. Technical yeah, the problems. live stream started. I can start hearing myself uh, through my headphones, so... All right. So cool. we're, yeah, we are live. Um, we're on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, I want to take the time today to kind of dive into your company. Um, give it, give, you know, if you can, before we start, um, jump in and, and uh, give us a quick intro. Yeah, sure. So uh, our company is, um, it's been around, I think, since 2015. I just started with them um, in September as their marketing specialist. And uh, the company is a tech startup. Basically, what we do is we help buildings become more energy efficient by providing them with what's called DC power distribution. Uh, so really quick about that, there are two different types of electricity. There's AC electricity and DC electricity. And a lot of our modern devices need DC electricity. So uh, if they're getting AC electricity, then they have to make this inefficient conversion with their inefficient drivers. And so our goal is just to uh, eliminate the need for those conversions and therefore like save energy. Cool. Uh, so I yeah. really want to let you kind of explain that because we usually have, uh, you know, software based companies on the show. Uh, the fact that you're in yeah. hardware makes this all the more exciting because uh, there's something about hardware companies that's uniquely um, different, a lot more challenges. Uh, a lot of investors stay away from hardware tech companies because uh, they're seen as very laborious. Uh, takes a lot of uh, lots of um, energy and lots of actual materials, right? Like they say, the world of atoms is a lot harder to move than the world of bytes and bits. Um, so, what does that look mm-hmm. like? You know, coming in from a technology space in hardware. That is so cool. I've never thought about how investors might be more hesitant to invest in hardware companies before. But yeah, that makes complete sense. I feel like it would be easier for a software company to scale up a little bit like hardware companies intrinsically have to worry a little bit more about manufacturing and suppliers. And as you know, like throughout the pandemic, uh, the supply chain has been disrupted. So we really do have to... uh, consider that, of course. And I think that they did have some struggles with that in the beginning of the pandemic. Now I think it's all sorted out. I wasn't there when they were having troubles with it, but now it seems like they can um, do a test with their hardware and then uh, like send the, I think um, the parts or something, they, they like get things manufactured in China and then we get everything like back here and then like assemble it and test it and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah, and we, I think, like, I'm obviously not on the engineering side of things, so I'm not sure what my engineering coworkers do, but I think that we probably use some kind of digital twin to make sure that um, that our process is a little bit easier to, easier to test, mm-hmm. you know? Like, we want to be able to test as much as we can before we send it off to be manufactured. 
Yeah. So you touched on some really cool key things there. One, uh, the fact that you know you have this uh, international supply chain. I want to dive into that. Supply chain has been a major issue for the past two and a half years. Um, one of the reasons, again, why the realm of bytes and bits has like been seen better than any company that has to deal with uh, the, any real estate or uh, physical items. Um, so I would love to dive into that. But also, this idea of digital twin yeah. technology, um, you know, super exciting, a lot of implica- implications there. Uh, I want to dive into that. So let's start with the, the former and we'll go, go back into the latter. Uh, what does supply chain look like right now uh, in terms of prototyping and trying to move along agile and, and, and in speed? Um, everyone is talking about it being locked up. Has that been the experience for you? Um, for us, I don't really honestly know much about this because they had most of their supply chain issues way back, uh, like at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think they probably resolved whatever issues they were experiencing probably like a year ago. I don't know what specifically mm-hmm. they were experiencing. I should ask uh, my coworkers about it. But I do know that um, that it takes like three weeks or so for us to get our stuff back. So we want to do as much testing as we can before we send it out or like send our designs out. I'm not really sure exactly how it works, to be honest with you. Uh, I've never had to worry about that because it's not really on the marketing side of things. You know, I'm never talking to our customers about how uh, how, how our supply chains work and stuff. Gotcha. So, yeah, I can tell you, though, oh, one, one thing really quickly, I can tell you that um, installation can basically be done remotely, so we don't have to worry too much about that kind of thing. Okay. Um, all right. So... Supply chains are an issue. That's 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 a great thing. Yes. So let's dive a little bit more into the second side, the digital twin, twin technology, and how that kind of component works. Yeah. Uh, we were first introduced to like digital twins through uh, 3D Cityscapes. Uh, they're a company that uh, came in through uh, very early on in the podcast, and they, I think they're still our most watched video on YouTube. And the real and the reason is it's like it's such a they're building a digital twin of cities, you know, recreating entire cities. But uh, looking into yeah. this, like in, being after being introduced to it, this idea from them, um, the manufacturing space has been using this for for years, right? Creating a digital replica of like a physical object and interacting with it in digital spaces. Um, can you talk us to, through a little bit more about digital twin technology and how you utilize it? Oh yeah. For sure. I, I think it's so interesting what digital twin technology you described it is, uh, you described it just perfectly. Like it's a digital representation of a physical thing. So digital twins, um, they are used quite often in, uh, in healthcare and in manufacturing, in, um, in hardware development, of course. And, uh, so, or, you know, you can create like a digital twin of your building or of cities. Cities is much larger scale. I don't know how they're collecting enough data to make digital twins of cities, but that's amazing. Uh, for anyone out there who doesn't really know, like the more information that you have about a physical object, the more comprehensive that digital twin can be. And so the way that you would collect data about a physical object, if it were a building or something, is you would have sensors. So like, for example, our technology uses IEQ sensors and occupancy sensors and IEQ sensors are indoor environments environmental quality sensors. So um, like temperature and lighting, those are really big things when it comes to like making your building environment, like your indoor building environment comfortable. And so sensors that track those kinds of things are, and that are able to 
wirelessly send that data back to a digital twin uh, interface. Um, that's really cool because then you can see exactly like what the temperature is in each different room that there's like sensors in. You can test things like air quality or volatile organic compounds, which are like toxins that, um, that go into the air from cleaning supplies and stuff. There's also like carbon monoxide detectors and um, you can track the pressure in HVAC systems. Like there's there's so much that you can track mm -hmm. with sensors and it's just very cool. So when we talk about sensors, um, you know, yeah. let's dive into like what kind of data can be taken out because that seems like very Star Trek-y. Like, you know, what is a, what is a sensor <laughs> and what, what does that mean? A sensor is... Um, it's so it's pretty simple. Like you can, there's a lot of wireless sensors these days. You could just like have a, a sensor with an adhesive back and then stick it onto a wall and it could just be programmed to pick up anything that it's uh, like programmed to pick up. So if it's programmed to pick up things like the brightness of your lights, it'll say, it'll think like, oh, there's this much light, like this much artificial light coming in um, or this much natural light coming in. And then, um, and then it can like sense that and then send that data wirelessly to a receiver. So in this case, like our receiver would be um, like an app. So we have an app and then like information is transmitted to that app through what's called our node. So like, let's, let's just like, let's just think of like three components. Okay. Sensor and then node with like, or, or network receiver, like whatever creates the wireless network, which could be a router or something like that, you know, for your internet. Um, and then that, like, when it creates that internet network, then that data can be transmitted to, a like, a cloud-based app or something. So then the app will know what the lighting brightness is or is in a room because that sensor has been programmed to track that kind of thing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. So, um, okay. Just the last question about sensors. Like, how specialized are these sensors? Like, are there, like, universal ones you can program to do uh, different, different things? Or do you get, like, specialized sensors meant for specific tasks? I think that our sensors are designed by our engineers. Um, our sensors are, like, they have three different data points that can be measured. Or, sorry, eight different data points that can be measured. So there's, like, lighting brightness, lighting color temperature, um, air quality, which includes those things that I mentioned earlier, like VOCs and carbon monoxide, and um, humidity, barometric pressure, which I think is uh, the pressure in HVAC systems. And um, if I'm missing something, I'm sorry, uh -huh. but there's a bunch of different things that it can track. Yeah. No, I think that's, uh, uh, that's interesting to um, understand because this is part of like uh, Mark Andreessen's quote, right? Like software is eating the world. And part of how it's doing that is more data points, being able to extract data points from everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, so the fact that these sensors can turn everyday things into data points allows us to like interface with environments completely differently. So what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, what does that look like for an office or industrial plant? Yeah, like what's really cool about that is that just because you're tracking very specific things doesn't mean that you're just going to take data from those specific things. You know, I think it's like Einstein that said it like the, the sum is, um, or what is it, like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? So that very much applies to data points and like what, uh, what information sensors collect. So like, for example, if you're collecting data about both lighting and, uh, and temperature, then you could base like the temperature in your, you could base like, uh, yeah, the temperature in your HVAC systems off of like how much heat light gives off or something like that. Cause everything like relates to each other. So if there's too much humidity in a room, maybe you want to 
decrease the temperature to or something, you know, yeah. like everything just relates to each other. Uh, you could also um, adjust all of these things so that the room is like the most comfortable that it can be for employees or something. Um, like you want to make sure that you're maintaining the temperature of rooms to be within a certain comfort level and and all that kind of stuff. And the, so we call it sensor fusion, mm. actually. Like when you combine all of these different uh, pieces of information into more of a holistic view of data, then that's called sensor fusion. Mm. It's like considering um, other data points and like how they respond to each other and how they affect one another and stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about security for a sec, because there's a lot of like proprietary, a lot of personal data that's, uh, be, that's, that's uh, up for grabs here. Um, we had a, a cybersecurity um, a company come through here and they told a story about how there are two types of categories of tax. One is like front, like, I don't know, the ca- I don't remember the terminology, but one is front end and other ones uh, the back end. So front end is you going after the company's systems, like their files or documents, um, you know, um, the computers. And that is usually, you know, uh, rigged up really tight. Um, there's a lot of software, a lot of, a lot of thought that goes into uh, protecting, um, you know, the IP of the company. But then the secondary tertiary attacks, which is infrastructural attacks, where they go after HVAC systems and they go after thermostats. There was one case where a uh, um, in a um, aquarium, a thermostat of the HVAC system was hacked. And the aquarium's animals were held hostage by a cyber by a cyber attack, where these the system was now compromised and being controlled by a remote party. Um, so, wow. what what you know as we you know uh, move into this environment where things can um, you know watch us without us knowing in different ways, uh, you know be able to pull you know sensory data from environments. Um, what does that look like in terms of security? So I do know that I'm just pulling up our white paper right now because I want to see what wording we use for our security system. But um, we do have security built in. It's, uh, let me see. I think that it's mainly within the digital twin because that's where all the data gets transmitted Mm. to. So um, yeah, we just call ours industry standard security encryption. So yeah, I guess that's what we have. Um, It just, you know, jumbles up all the data that you get into uh, whatever it's called. Um, the, the ones and zeros and stuff. I'm blanking on what that's called right now. Do you remember off the top of your head? Sorry, what? Like ones and zeros. That, like the, the language, the computer language, oh, that binary. all data is transferred. Yeah, yeah binary. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, just encrypted into binary language. So um, yeah, that's the security system that we have just to protect everyone's data and make sure that we can like protect people from having their HVAC systems yeah. um, hacked. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's such a crazy thought, though, you know, because, I mean, if we were to talk about, like, smart mm. homes for a second, a lot of people are really hesitant to get uh, smart homes just because they don't want certain devices, like their fridges, to lock them out, which does happen to people, or their or their houses can even lock them out um, if they don't, uh, if, like, you can't log in. Like, I've heard of people not being able to log into their interface where they generally control their smart home and then just being locked out of their house because they... Uh, can't log in so uh, I mean that wouldn't be the case for us because we're not generally like we're not actually controlling door locks with our system but that is uh, something that definitely needs considering when people are thinking about getting smart technology I think that having a smart home or having a smart building can be very worth it when it comes to energy savings but I think there's still a lot that needs to be worked out when people like for people to feel safe 
getting that kind yeah. of Yeah, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, we get these horror stories. Like one of the things that came to me was like, um, I mean, I usually work in the smart home industry, and one of the stories that came and popped out was um, there was this family where one day the the smart speakers came alive with the, with the man's voice and started talking to like the youngest daughter um, and knew her mm-hmm. name, knew details about her, all that. And the mom caught that. And then the room started laughing with other voices that were in this, in the smart speaker. And it later turned out that the entire, entire smart Jeez. home system was compromised. And there was an internet room that was like watching everything of this family was doing in the household. And they didn't know for how long. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I was just gonna—I was just about to ask you, like, how long yeah, was that? Happening? Like, it was unknown. It was terrifying. And you would think that, like, you know, it's like these were like Google smart home speakers and like you know trustworthy names, but there's all these points of like mm-hmm. attacks that can happen when it, when like different different systems come into place. Uh, like for other for another, uh, there's another case that happened where it turned out like a hacker was able to get into a smart door lock because there was a. Mm-hmm third party wireless um like a booster in the home on the home that was you they were able to compromise that use that to access the wi-fi network and through the wi-fi network authenticate themselves to the to the door lock right so it's like these points of attacks happen because like multiple parties are uh, coming together right so for when i come back to you know your you and your industry it seems like you have more control because you you have the software, you have the the, the hardware that you you, uh, you you emit your yourself. But how does that fit into like a larger ecosystems of technologies and servers and systems? Like, you know, do you have is there a, is there a complicated uh, installation process, integration process? What does that look like? It's actually not too complicated with our systems. For a lot of other systems, it's more complicated. Um, so with uh, with commercial buildings, specifically HVAC systems and lighting systems, they communicate with each other through a program called BACnet protocol, B-A-C-N-E-T, uh, BACnet. Um, so BACnet protocol, it's just how these things communicate with each other and typically like how people did it before, like how people controlled HVAC systems and their lighting systems before, if they wanted to control their building systems was they would log on to like a remote desktop if they were not inside their building. And then, then, and then they would just, uh, they would control things from there, from whatever like interface had been provided to them by the manufacturer or the building or whatever. Um, but now, like with our system, we uh, our system communicates with BACnet protocol as well as with devices that don't communicate with BACnet protocol. Like our sensors don't use BACnet, but HVAC systems and buildings do use that uh, BACnet. But uh, we still want to be able to make sure that we're taking in all these information, uh, all this information from like HVAC systems and lighting systems, and every other system that's in a building and every device that's in a building, and then bring all this data that's collected about these systems onto the one app. So uh, because it's able to understand BACnet protocol, it's uh, it's pretty easy to have everything just integrated onto one like data receiving mm-hmm. platform. So um, again, that's actually another thing that our, that our nodes do. Like our nodes create that wireless uh, mesh network, but they also communicate in BACnet protocol and they're able to interpret that data into what can be read by our digital twin platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, this is all fascinating. Like, so let's let's dive yeah. a little more into like the company history and you know what brought you guys, uh, you know, as a team here. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the motivations and in, in building this technology and this infrastructure? Yeah, sure. I think that um, how it was really started was because my coworkers they uh, they went to Ryerson. 
Um, and they did engineering in Ryerson and uh, actually one of our clients is Ryerson. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just realized that there was a real need for uh, DC power. And uh, a really big part of that need was actually that like, so yeah, a lot of our devices need DC power. We say like 80% of our devices need DC power if we're including like HVAC systems in buildings that require DC power. Um, but then another part of that is that one of the reasons that we use AC power so often is because AC power is, um, it's, uh, is compatible with transformers. And transformers are another thing like in electrical engineering. I can tell you about them if you want, but DC power is not um, compatible with it. And transformers basically like step down the voltage of electricity when it comes into a building and it also isolates it. So um, it's able to, yeah, it's able to just bring in power and then distribute it around safely and step down power when you need to. But like since DC power doesn't, um, isn't compatible with that stuff, it makes it a little bit more difficult to step down voltages and to isolate those voltages with DC power. So our system has like a little bit of a workaround and we have, um, we have a transformer-free isolation system. So we don't actually use transformers. It's a different like patented piece of technology that we use instead. So um, that's a really big part of what they realized we needed. Uh, and so that's part of the reason like why they started developing this. And then they kind of based their entire company off of that. And that's not necessarily like what we talk about often in marketing, because not a lot of people understand that uh, AC electricity isn't um, isn't compatible with transformers and why that's important, but it is important and it's kind of cool. Yeah, um, I love the fact that you know you can get into detail about that because um, the whole electrification race, right? Like Edison, Tesla, all of them were used to. I think there's a great documentary about this on uh, Amazon Prime, right? Um, the oh, right? cool. Yeah. And one of the crazy things about this was like there was like a almost like a, a war about AC power versus DC power, like what would uh, the world utilize yes. as a platform. And uh, Edison was really pissed off that Tesla invented AC power <laughs> because DC yeah. power would mean more. There would be require more power plants to, in order to uh, allow for power to, uh, for to electrify the United States and the world. And therefore, mm -hmm. it would have been you know way more profitable to operate like a DC power uh, system. Um, but yeah. AC was cheap and Tesla was all about electrifying the world, giving a platform that's cheap and easy. Yeah. And since then, there's always been a conflict. And AC power won for most of uh, most of the history of yeah. electricity, right? Because it was uh, easier to regulate, it was cheaper to introduce, and it was safer. But uh, one of the interesting things about DC is like now that we are looking at DC power as a controlled way of um, of uh, you know uh, maximizing energy of efficiency. Now looking at energy from an efficiency standpoint, because AC is like super um, a lot of like leakages, right? Even like as the power goes around power lines, yeah. you're losing a lot of uh, power to resistance. So DC direct current yeah. getting things in there. I think like furnaces, um, residential furnaces made the first switch, right? From like AC powered. Um, um, uh, fans like motors to DC powered, mm -hmm. and like the drop was like mm -hmm. for like the old fans were like 800 watts, and the new DC fans are like 80 watts. It's like a tenfold difference, mm -hmm. and we saw like and yeah. it's one of the main reasons why we have such a uh, drop in like uh, sorry increased energy efficiency in, in residences, especially in Ontario, has been like the the transition to DC powered uh, furnaces. 
and it's seen as such a significant uh, changes in, in, in usage in electricity and uh, even people's bills and things like that. Wow. So yeah, like, there's a lot of like issues with AC and versus DC kind of situation. Do you feel there's any resistance yeah. to uh, the switch to DC from anyone in the in industry? Uh, yeah, first of all, wow, great job. You know a lot about the war of the currents. Like, I'm really impressed. I was not expecting you to have, like, I mean, maybe I should have expected that. You are in tech, <laughs> so, like, it makes sense for sure. I didn't know about the innovations that were made to HVAC systems and when they uh, transitioned from, like, AC to DC power, but that's really cool to know that the difference is tenfold. I knew that they became more energy efficient when they're supplied with DC power, but I didn't know by how much, so that's really yeah. cool. Um, let's see. Backing up a little bit. Yeah, something I actually have not talked about was something that you just mentioned was that AC power um, is less efficient to transmit than DC power, just as just inherently as an electrical, as an electricity type, like a, a type of electricity. And that's because of uh, reactive power losses. And um, they can also be called losses in capacitance. And so that just means that um, you can actually think of it like a pint of beer. This is a way that it was explained to me. Like if you pour a pint of beer and you pour it too fast, you know, you get like a bunch of head on that beer and maybe you have like a beer that's half foam and half beer. And with AC power, it's kind of like that because when you send AC power so quickly, it like creates this reactive power that would equal out to be like the same as, you know, foam on beer. Mm -hmm. So even though it's been created and technically it's electricity, it's reactive electricity. And so it's not really what's going to quench your thirst if you go back to the beer analogy. Um, so that's kind of cool. I think there is some resistance because people just don't understand uh, why DC power is so important and how it is more energy efficient, which is something that we're using our blog posts and stuff to educate people about. But the main difference between AC electricity and DC electricity is that AC, um, it, it has a frequency of like 50 to 60 uh, times it alternates per mm -hmm. second. So it alternates 50 to 60 times per second. And um like depending on which country you're in. So I think in Canada, it actually, I'm not sure it's either 50 or 60, mm -hmm. but <laughs> it like, you know, alternates 50 to 60 times for a second. And then with direct current, it stays at the exact same voltage, no matter what. Uh, so there is no frequency with direct current. And that makes it entirely active as a power source, which makes it more energy efficient because there is there are no reactive power losses. There's no bouncing around that happens or like too much. There's not too much movement. It's just straight and direct. And I mean, that's why it's called direct current. And then it just makes it really energy efficient. Um, and I think that, like you were saying about the war of the currents, the another reason that there would be resistance would be because of um, of how it is more expensive to transmit DC power. Do you have anything to add, by the way? I feel like I've already been talking. No, no, uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> in this. Keep going. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so the main reason that people haven't moved over from AC power to DC power and like the war of the currents happened back in the late 1800s. And uh, people basically chose AC power as the standard because they, AC power was compatible with transformers and they needed the ability to step down voltages um, and that's something that transformers provide. And with DC power, it wasn't compatible with transformers. So if you did want to step down the voltage of DC power to go from transmission lines to distributing power throughout cities or towns, you would have to have what's called a rectifier station or a power converter station. So this rectifier, it takes the DC power that would have been transmitted at a high voltage 
and then it would be converted to AC and then a transformer would be used to step down the voltage and then another rectifier would be used to, uh, to change it back to DC power so that you could send the DC power the rest of the way at a lower voltage. Because when you transmit power at high voltage, the voltage has to be much higher than it needs to be at the city level or at the town level or at the building level or the house level. So whenever like DC power voltage needs to be stepped down, there's that really weird like workaround process where you have to like get the rectifier, transformer rectifier. And there are other ways of, uh, of stepping down DC power um, called a buck, um, a buck, what is it called? A buck converter and a boost converter or something like that. And those ways do work. Like you can step up and down DC voltages with that in the same way that you can with the transformer. But the difference is, is that they're not mm. safe. Those ways, like you're not isolating electricity with those two things, and therefore the electricity that's being converted is not safe. It's uh, like DC power can be just as dangerous as AC power, if not more dangerous, even though it doesn't actually react with the electricity in your skin, um, it can still be very dangerous. So uh, yeah, like that's, that's, a, that's a big reason, is just because we don't have the technology to isolate electricity at the high voltage level. And so it's still really expensive to create those rectifier stations and uh, and do all that. So it is worth it at a certain point. I'm going to take a <laughs> breath because <laughs> I've been talking. I can feel it for a minute. Um, yeah. So when it becomes um, plausible, like when it becomes worth it to have DC power transmitted is when the power losses that, uh, that would happen with AC power are so wasteful that they are more expensive than rectifier stations. So that is actually, it's called like the break-even distance. So at 600 kilometers, that is typically the point where it's worth it to invest in a DC transmission system for high voltage systems. Um, or it's like 50 kilometers underground or underwater because with AC power, you're losing so much electricity when it travels underground or underwater that it's just worth it to do DC uh, transmission in those situations. And then there's the situation of um, when you're sending electricity across borders that have different frequencies. Like, let's just say that Canada has um, like a standard frequency of 50 and the US has a frequency of 60. If they were to like have a power line that connected the two countries, that power line would need to be the exact same frequency. Like it would need to, um, it would need to change the frequency in the middle or something somehow, or you just need to have DC power because DC power doesn't have a frequency. So even if you had like an AC transmission system in Canada that was at 50 and an AC transmission system in America that was 60, then um, if you had DC connecting the two, then they could take that DC electricity that was being transmitted to them and then just like um, convert it into AC power at whatever frequency they wanted to, you know? So it makes like um, cross country barriers, it makes it a little bit more Interesting. easier to, to do that kind of thing. Are we sharing electricity between countries? Do we do that now? I think we do. Um, yeah, we definitely do. There's, there's actually quite a few like DC transmission systems in the world. And a few of them are because of that reason. Uh, I'd have to look them up though. I can't yeah. look them off the top of my head. I know that we have a few in Canada or like one or two in Canada. At least. I'm trying to remember from the top of my head because like most electrical products in Canada are coming for in two different, um, uh, watt standards, right? Like, like um, uh, on, on, I think like 120 uh, kilowatts or 120 watts, like, uh, electricity intake. And then another one is like 300 mm -hmm. and like, we're like one of the only countries that uh, allow for both. 
and like that makes it hard to uh, for supply chains. Uh, for, okay. Right. So like if you were to buy a light, for example, mm-hmm. it would come at two different frequencies. You, you can purchase buy it and be compatible for a Canadian uh, with mm-hmm. industry. But in the U.S., only one frequency is accepted, so you would have to ship something different there. So when you have supply chain, when you're like supplying internationally, I know for like uh, for products that would lose electricity, you have to be mindful of the electrical frequency uh, of each nation, and like not all of them follow a mm-hmm. standard. So like um, yeah. the electrical standard commission, what is that? The UL or UCL? Uh, they're the ones that certify and make sure all, uh, like the, the the frequency of the, uh, the the transmissions and sorry the the, the trans um, what is it called the transformers and all that are converting like oh, yeah, properly yeah. all that stuff that so every product has to be like certified by this by the agency that coming to Canada right for this reason because we want to make mm-hmm. sure like something doesn't come here and like fry your home or like uh, office building yeah. right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, um, are you? Is there any following? Because I know there was like a push for it earlier about an international standard, right? Like, just like we standardize shipping containers and ship things, moving things back and forth. It seems like standardizing electricity is something that would be, um, you know, would help everybody when it comes to like developing products and having a global supply chain. Is that a concern currently right now? Mm-hmm. Are you following anything about that? Um, I do know that, uh, like right now, AC power is still the standard. But until until we have some kind of invention that's created so that we can have uh, isolated power for high transmission systems, then that's when like DC power will become the standard. Because there's no reason for it not to be the standard after that happens. Because it'll make all these stations much much cheaper. Because it will mean that you won't need to create like these. You won't need to build like these really expensive rectifiers and the transformers and then other rectifiers. It's it's uh, like that'll just make it so much cheaper if you can just step up and down DC electricity and it can be isolated so it remains safe. Um, that's really the main factor mm-hmm. for sure like before it becomes standardized. But what you said before um, about there being like 120 and 240 and everything, I think that you're talking about different classes of electricity. Oh, okay, yeah. So I don't know very much about that, but there are different um, like legal classes that you need to abide by so like legally you can only go up to a certain voltage level um depending on like what class you're certified for or something like Mm -hmm. that and we've recently uh we you can google it if you want to i don't know very much about it but my boss is like super excited (laughs) about it very excited about this thing called class four power and um all i know about it is that it's kind of it kind of seems like on the same level as power over internet um, sorry, power over Ethernet data transfer. Yeah. yeah, POE. Is that we can talk about POE if you want to. Uh, POE. I, I was hoping but. you'll bring it up because <laughs> um, POE. I, I I nerd out about that stuff because. Um, mm-hmm. I used to work in the lighting industry. I used to sell commercial oh, cool. um, LED lighting. And this was something I was trying to convince my boss, right? This is like seven years mm-hmm. ago. And I was saying, this nice. is going to be the future. Like, you know, all these <laughs> pa- electrical panels are going to be powered by Ethernet cables that plug into a server, not an electrical junction box. Cool. And mm-hmm. uh, you can control them. You can program lights. You can program, um, you know, uh, devices and things right from a server that powers it and gives it um, information on what to do. And they just looked at me like, yeah, we'll let someone else do it and then we'll wait and see how it performs and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll enter the market then because it was a large company. But uh, Yeah, seven years ago, wow. Like even then that would be, sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, so I was going to jump in now. Like what does a POE industry look like? 
Uh, the PO industry, the PO industry is uh, is interesting for sure. There's still some limitations. Like for example, you can't power a computer um, with PoE. Like you can't power with Ethernet cables, and you you actually you can. It's I think forty there's watts, like right? A dozen it's a maximum in the world. Um, yeah, actually, they upped it to ninety okay, now. Like wow. the they they do like the highest they can do is ninety watts now, I believe. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. And, uh, but like there are PoE computers in the world that can be powered by PoE, but I think there's only like a dozen of them in the entire world. Yeah. I'll have to Google that later. There's not many of them, but there are more like lights that can be powered by PoE. And so a lot of bigger buildings, like there's this one hotel, I think somewhere in the States. I don't, I don't, mm. I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere in the States, I'm sure many places in the States, yeah. there's hotels that are like powered completely with PoE. So that just means like you can send data and um, electricity to these lights so you can like send like colors that you want them to mm. display and stuff. Uh, you know all about that, obviously. I'm just telling like the listeners in case they want to know, but you definitely know. Uh, what company were you working with when you were telling them about PoE? Were you asking them if like they could like have all their systems run off of PoE? No, um, so I was at Technion. Uh, it's Canada's largest mm-hmm. private company. They make like high-end furniture for Google, the government, uh, all oh, that stuff. Cool. You know, like those three thousand dollar chairs. That's that's who makes mm-hmm. it. And um, so I was, I was, in, I was a, a sales engineer, so product and sales engineer. Mm-hmm. So my job was to productize and create a sales uh, lines for like new products. And the newest product was uh, LED lights, commercial lighting. So uh, mm-hmm. we, got, we, got, we got a ton of like these beautiful, super thin LED lights that can replace fluorescent lights. And we were targeting um, in, uh, commercial and industrial centers. Um, there's a lot of like partners, like that's a huge supply chain partners who bought from us. So it was like inside sales almost. So we we're like doing all these transformations. But what I wanted to go after was new markets. And the new markets I wanted to go for was all the towers, office buildings. So every time mm-hmm. an office of, of, of tower client, like, um, uh, like a, a, a leaser, like, you know, gives up the lease or moves on, a new lease comes in, like new walls are constructed. And then an electrician would go in and re wire all the lights in the building to go to new switches as new walls come in and the office gets redivided you have to physically redo the entire infrastructure right and it's super costly Uh, so the idea was with poe because if we can make these lights work over power of internet you know uh, at that time the standard was 40 watts and these lights run at 40 watts it's the main difference Mm -hmm. so replace like a 240 watt like fluorescent light with a 40-watt LED super thin light uh, for your commercial block. But we're like, hey, if I could step it further and connect Ethernet cable to this where the power doesn't just connect into a physical light switch but goes to a server, mm-hmm. and that server you can say, hey, this is a new room. These lights now are controlled by this switch. And with a program, mm-hmm. change entire floor plans. Well, then you can save yeah. so much money. And all those towers, yeah. right? So I was targeting mm-hmm. all the uh, like Brookfield, all those big companies to do that. I was you know, trying to get them interested, nice. but my bosses That's were cool. like, "This is too early, you know. Let's wait a while. We want to promise stuff." But uh, I, I still think that would have been like the coolest sale to make. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Like, there's obviously disadvantages to PoE too, yeah. but uh, but generally, it's a really cool technology, and it can save a lot of money on cable costs. Mm-hmm. It's just really expensive to install. That's the only thing, and you also need to make sure that all of the devices that are in your building uh, that you want to connect to a PoE system are compatible with PoE. Yeah. Like, they have to be like PoE specific lights or or you know whatever like PoE 
uh, specific like powered devices. I think a lot of, well, I know a lot of video cameras and stuff are powered by PoE. So, so anyone who's like looking into just their security camera uh, system mm-hmm. being powered by DC power, then PoE is a really great way to do that because you can get like the, the electricity and the data transmitted on one cable. Yeah. Um, just saves a lot on cabling costs. And I think also like in the grand scheme of things, maybe on the copper costs too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Like, um, absolutely. I think you said it right there, like the, the, the transition, right? So, um, yeah. You just got me thinking about this job. Like, literally, like, I, like, I would have behind my, my, my office, like a lab where we test mm-hmm. new oh, products, cool. right? Energy products. So I would bring over, I was the only non engineer in this engineering company, right? Like, in, the, in, the, in this department. I feel you. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I was, I was there to like productize things that, you know, do something that engineers couldn't. Um, but like, mm-hmm. I would always team up to engineers and like, let's take apart things and like, figure out how we can do that. So the idea was like, we, in, in, the, in the building I worked at, we made um, Ethernet cables. Like, it was, it was a, part of the supply chain of like, the bigger uh, of the bigger giant was we made a cable. So I'm like, there should be a way to do this. And I think that's one of the frustrations of working in a large company is like how much you have to push in order to like uh, operationalize new projects. Uh, whereas in smaller mm-hmm. firms, right, you can take those kind of operational alerts a little bit easier because you're more agile. Um, how's that been for mm-hmm. you? Like, have you uh, seen any cool projects come your way that you're like, you want to move in that kind of direction? Um, or like has pushed you in a different ways. How has evolution been within within the company? Uh, I will say that, um, I don't know about the evolution within the company so far, because I've only been there for like five months or something like that. But I will say that I am really interested in in wireless technology and I'm really fascinated by how our system uses wireless technology to, in a way, like make PoE better. So PoE, like its main downside is that all this data needs to be transferred via cables. And I don't think there's really any like wireless capabilities that are uh, like inherent in POE systems, right? Is, is that true? That's, that's basically true. Um, yeah, so with our system, I think that like with POE systems, the sensors are in the lights, right? To sense like if a light or, or it's a, um, a light that like transmits data down the cable to the system, uh, whereas with our system, it's sensors that say like, oh, this light up there, that's like a 4,000 Kelvin. So like, we're going to send that data over to the system wirelessly, um, just through the air, like wirelessly. So cool. And then, um, so that's, that's interesting to me. And it does like reduce cables just as much as a POE system because the cables just need to transmit electricity and uh, you get the data through wireless means. Um, and yeah, that's really interesting. So I think that PoE could be improved on, um, like it already is improved on with our system. <laughs> but I still think that it was a really great like technology for its time. It's just not like the end all be all, you know? Yeah, cool. You know, yeah. As we near the end of the end of the segment, I'd love to know what like the future looks like. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. for you and your company, like, uh, at your, uh, you know, uh, what does like, um, the full vision in force look like five, 10 years? Uh, what does the world look like, uh, with, with, with the company's vision in place? We're pretty excited about it. Like there's only, uh, I think six of us, maybe seven of us now. Yeah. Seven of us. Cause we just got a new team member, new engineer, Hussein, shout out to Hussein. And, uh, so there's only seven of us right now, um, but in the future, like after we finish our seed round, then we'll hire on more people. Maybe I'll have a bigger marketing team that I can work with because right now it's just me and uh, like I toss around ideas with my boss, Bolas, sometimes. 
Um, actually, every day we have calls really about marketing <laughs> and that kind of thing. So that's good. Uh, but in the future, I just see our team growing a little bit bigger. And uh, we're also hoping to get more involved in infrastructure projects like EV charging stations and um, in distribution of DC power to cities. You know, like we're just we want to go bigger and bigger with the scale of DC power systems that we're able to provide. Because right now we really just provide um, DC power in commercial buildings. And yeah, we want to we want to. No. Could you talk a little bit about the, the EV side, uh, the charging stations? Mm-hmm. Um, how does yeah. how does DC power and how can you help with uh, the power stations? I know that's like a big problem right now. Yeah, yeah, it is a really big problem right now. Um, so all, all I know about that is like EV power stations, EV charging stations are powered with DC electricity and they're trying to figure out exactly how to do that. Um, I think that they, I think I saw an article recently where they were looking for submissions or something like that um, for entrepreneurs or for tech companies to, to like send in their information or send in like maybe, uh, what's it called? Like when you pitch, yeah, like when you pitch to be part of a big project, like a big infrastructure project, mm-hmm. it's just very competitive. Um, but yeah, I think that they are having a little bit of trouble because they don't have access to an isolator. Uh, like, I mean, they don't have access to something that isolates electricity in a way to make it safe and like charge these cars and stuff. And I, I think that we will need a lot more of those EV charging stations. If you even want to talk about like just electric cars, we can talk about that. Like, how do you feel about fully electric vehicles versus hybrid vehicles? Because fully electric, like te- a lot of Tesla cars, are there any? Hybrid Teslas? I don't no. think there are, but yeah, I didn't think so either. But like, they only can go a certain number of kilometers before they actually charge for like forty minutes or something or longer. Yeah, so. um, definitely limitations of, of the Tesla cars. Mm-hmm. There was a recent, um, um, you know, a lawsuit that they're going through that's uh, really uh, bad. Like, there was like a car that um, a Tesla that died in um, freezing conditions. Um, mm-hmm. The charge fell faster because it's super cold, and uh, left mm, a yeah. uh, left the driver and I think a family stranded. Um, luckily, someone else was able to they, they could hitch a ride, but it could have been a dire situation. So, yeah, there's a lot of safety concerns, mm-hmm. especially in Canada, where where northern climate. Yeah. What does that look like when like half the range we cut off due to the temperature uh, swings? You know, how do we replace infrastructure and allow for more charging stations and allow for enough of that to have, you know, be in density where it makes sense to have like, you know, frequent trips in, 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 with, with the electric uh, vehicles. Um, yeah. And there's also the, the safety and security concern of like, you know, of these mm-hmm. vehicles that are can be operated um, wirelessly and can be hacked into or even um, yeah. even stopped. Um, when, when Tesla during, I think, one of the hurricanes, um, wirelessly added extra five thousand dollars, five thousand kilometer range, or like five hundred kilometer range to uh, their vehicles uh, on the same charger. R wirelessly, you know, added uh, added capability. It was seen as like, whoa, look at this capability. But it also points to the fact that these things can be tampered with over the air. Um, yeah. you know, and even like things can be given, given things can be taken away from you. So giving mm-hmm. like undue uh, power to like third parties. Who have access um, to something as critical as our, you know, into our infrastructure as a vehicle set, move things around. Yeah. Um, that could also become like a geopolitical issue. So I think, like in the world mm-hmm. of electricity, uh, it's it's always been uh, very like hectic on like in terms of like um, how the world kind of, how you kind of electrify and move um, a power around. And I think it's 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 really uh, um, uh, still a concern. Um, yeah. 
one thing that yeah yeah sorry go ahead Oh, nothing. I was just going to be like, yeah, those are really good points. Those are definitely good points. Like even just the security thing, like we want to make sure that, I mean, especially ever since uh, like Tesla was one of the first electric cars that we got. But then after that, we've been seeing more and more electric cars like Volkswagen, Volkswagens and, you know, others. And um, yeah, like I think that the more electric cars are created, then the more like their technology is going to be similar and maybe the more potential for hackers too. Like, I think I would compare it to PC versus Apple computers. And at first everyone was like, no one could hack an Apple computer. They're Apple computers. Mm-hmm. And now there's definitely Apple computer hackers yeah. uh, like out there. Uh, I feel like it's the same thing with Tesla. People will be able to eventually hack Tesla's into car systems. Yeah. If they can't already. There was, a, yeah, there was a young kid who just did that recently. The, he hacked a bunch of Teslas oh, yeah. uh, on a dealership. And he he was part of a securities company. So he was, he was able to expose that. Um, but yeah, it goes to show that you know this is a concern we forward. One thing, Aaron, that we didn't get time to uncover, and uh, you know, it would have been um, you know just nerding out on electricity with you, is that um, <laughs> talking about um, different forms of power. You know, we're moving now mm-hmm. to like more sustainable energy resources. Um, there's still a conversation about nuclear power. That's a huge. Uh, mm-hmm. That's huge for Canada, especially because we're such a remote country that nuclear power might make sense for us. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, we'll stay there for another episode. I'd love to have you back on yeah. and talk a little more and maybe six months uh, and get some updates on uh, how you guys are doing. Yeah, that would be so fun. I knew that I know that uh, I looked it up recently and we have uh, like we use like a huge proportion of the electricity that we use in Canada or even in Ontario is like generated with nuclear, like a crazy amount. Yeah. Google it if you're like listening online or something just right now like google how big of a proportion nuclear energy is in the electrical system um it's crazy so i think that we do rely on it and then the more that we can use like uh, the more that we can easily collect uh, electricity from solar panels and store that energy then the more renewable energy sources that we can use like from from the sun or from water and that kind of thing so yeah let's definitely talk about that later yeah very down. Talk about that later. Perfect. We'll cut this here. Thanks, Aaron, for coming. Okay. Coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Robbie. Talk to you later. Bye.